0: You're listening to audio from Gospel Collective Church. If you'd like to check out additional resources or learn more about us, please visit gcclex.com. Your Bibles, open them up to Philippians chapter two. Philippians chapter two. Um, This uh, morning, uh, I don't know if it's uh, just uh, because of circumstances, kind of craziness in my house this morning, uh, that last specific song, which is one of my favorite hymns. Um, I'm really praying, hoping that uh, God will use his word uh, to do a couple things. One, uh, if you haven't picked up on it yet, unity is a big theme in Philippians. Um, and it was a point that Tim Shepard made last week, a point I made in the first week's sermon, and an overall theme that we need to be mindful of as we tackle today's scripture. Uh, we already know and see just living everyday life, whether it be sports, whether it be work, whether it be in friendships, whether it be views upon country and community, Unity is important, but how much more within the church? And so my prayer hope as we read this scripture, of course, unity will be in mind for us. Remember, God created and allowed all those things to point to him. And so before we do start um, going through the scripture, uh, I do want to ask for you to spend some time in prayer uh, for unity. Uh, two things one, I want to ask to pray for. One, unity, and in a couple different areas, we pray for continued unity uh, within our church. God's been very gracious in, and within that. We've given testimony to that in the past. But will you pray for not only continued unity within our church, but also um, in this area between churches? Our church and other churches um, that uh, agree with the closed handed. Uh, issues and uh, that we will be united uh, in fronts for mission in that way will you pray for unity when it comes to churches in the country Uh, again uh, that satan's gonna do anything and everything he can to be able to attack and give not only christ but christianity and the church a horrible witness in name and we need to be united on certain fronts and then unity around the world as we've read and studied in, in certain scriptures especially during missions month but then again when we get to the passages we are to be continually praying for the church and especially the persecuted church around the world, that they are brothers and sisters. I mean, you do not get more united than the bond of what is family and even more, as Jesus had said, spiritually. Brothers and sisters in Christ, I ask that you pray for our brothers and sisters in Christ. And then last of all, uh, in similar themes of unity, but I'd love for our church to spend some time praying right now, um, but will you also pray for Centerpoint Church? Many um, you guys know, unless you're kind of fairly new with us, uh, we were a campus of Centerpoint Church on the west side of town for several years up until uh, January of 2021 where we rolled off to, to be an autonomous church and where we still uh, partner with them and, and, and uh, uh, unite with them in certain things. Uh, but they are going to be going through a new season as uh, their new pastor uh, is going to be starting this week. And so uh, we want to lift them up in prayer. We want to ask that God use them mightily like he did even to birth this church um, and all the years that, that we were a part of them. And so can we lift up Center Point Church as well and their their new pastor, lead lead pastor, uh, um, Drew. Um, so will you spend some time right now praying for unity in those areas and then lifting up center point Church as well as they enter into a new exciting season uh, with the lead pastor. Okay, go ahead and spend some time and I'll, I'll close this in prayer. father we know that your son mediates for us as the one who intercedes on our behalf that loves us that died for us that continually intercedes in both areas as we lift up these areas of unity we ask that we will continue as a church but then also churches in the area in the country and uh, in the world um, be united bonded uh, as we we read even last few weeks in spirit and mind and heart lord Um, and lord we do also ask lord that you be with center point let this be uh, a a season uh, where they find great comfort sabbath and rest within you and zeal and passion for your mission lord i we lift up their new lead pastor drew and that you use him in those charges lord god Um, that he will just be a vessel used by you united in that mission themselves and to help continue to provide that community that rest that healing so lord we lift up these things asking them in your son's name jesus amen this church with some of those things in mind Let's read Philippians chapter 2, verses 12 through 18. God's word says this. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Do all things without grumbling or disputing that you may be blameless and innocent children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation. Same terminology and what we read in Deuteronomy a moment ago. Among whom you shine as lights in the world, holding fast to the word of life so that in the day of Christ, I may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain, even if I am to be poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith. I am glad and rejoice with you all. Likewise, you also should be glad and rejoice with me. First, we see in this text, the first couple of verses, verses 12 through 13, we find a tough laboring sanctification in our salvation. I'll explain what that means. But again, rereading verse 12, as he starts off saying, Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence. As he starts off with the word of therefore, we must ask what is before. We know and we've heard, as he said in this letter, I've been encouraged by your faith, your love, your growth and endurance a very encouraging opener in this letter. And as he said, as I've reminded you and myself, to live is Christ and death is gain, as countercultural as that seems. And as we see the importance of unity last week by humility and how it was demonstrated by the incarnation and kingship of Jesus Christ with all that being read, studied, discussed in your community groups before, because of all those things, how proud I am of you and your growth and your endurance, that we are to live in Christ, but reminding ourselves that death is gain, that we are to be united by humility demonstrated by Jesus Christ, because of all those things, he says, my beloved, as you have always. And how encouraging is that? to hear first off affirmation that up to this point they have been obedient to those things I can't but help to notice this word of obedience right now right here in this verse 12 as you have always obeyed obedience was used just four verses before when Paul described described the depths of Jesus's obedience In Philippians 2, 8, we heard last week, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. And so he reminds us of Jesus' obedience. Then he says, as you have been obedient. I can't but help to think of how encouraging that would be. That as we imitate Christ's humility, looking at others as more significant than ourselves, and then Jesus' obedience, taking up our own crosses daily and the willingness to live for him and die for him. He says, so now, verse 12. As you've always obeyed, so now, which means continue no matter what, whether I am here with you or not. In fact, if I'm not with you, He says there's much more of a reason that you need to continue to obey. That when the path of obedience to Jesus seems long and dangerous, many look for an out or an easier option. Those who are just trying out Christianity for reasons outside of the response we are to give to the gospel, giving him our all, repentance, true faith, they will eventually try out other spiritual endeavors. We are to continue to obey, no matter how hard it is. He says, whether I'm with you or not, Eugene Peterson once said, it is this long obedience in the same direction which the mood of the world does so much to discourage. We are to continue, endure, obey. And so he says, therefore, with all those things in your blessed continued obedience, look at the rest of the scripture here. Work out Your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you both to will and to work for His good pleasure. I'm going to read that first part, the end of verse 12 again. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. This part of the verse has been used in opposition of what our church convictionally believes about perseverance of the saints it's been used in opposition about what our church doctrinally believes about salvation and grace through faith and so it's important to camp here just a moment do know that this verse does not take away from or go against everything that the apostle paul has said and that we see from the scriptures regarding justification regarding salvation as a result of grace through faith, but it is in here for a reason. It needs some explaining. What does it mean to work out our salvation? Some have interpreted this as a works-based salvation, but again, that would be a misinterpretation of the text, and it would go against everything that the Apostle Paul has ever said, and he sure said a lot about grace and faith. The Greek verb rendered work out here means this, to continually work to bring something to completion or fruition. Again, it means to continually work to bring something to completion or fruition. We do this by actively pursuing obedience as he had mentioned in the process of, this is the key word here, sanctification. This is what he means when he says salvation. In our salvation in Jesus from his work on the cross and the resurrection and then grace given in the gospel. Four things happen to us. I'll mention them in a moment, but many people will ask, what happens when one becomes a Christian? When one receives salvation in Jesus? I've had actually real life scenarios. People had said, like, you become a Christian, then you stop cussing, Right. One person that even said, you become a Christian, then you you have to be a Republican, right? Christian means you become a Republican, okay? I mean, those are some real-life answers I've heard from people of saying that's what happens when you become a Christian. Here's the four things that does happen, okay? Number one, justification, which means that when we are saved, when we receive Christ as our Lord and Savior, by repenting and having faith in grace, he puts his righteousness and replaces our unrighteousness for it. It's the great exchange. Where we were once dead, we were once lost, now we are alive. Now we are found. Where we deserve, because of our sin, the penalty of hell, we receive eternal life with him and in him. We are justified. Where God looks at us and doesn't see our sin, No more and the consequences from it, both being spiritual and eternal death. Instead, he sees his son, Jesus, who died for our sins, rose from the grave, defeating sin, Satan, and death. And he sees him and he accepts us and he loves us on his behalf. We are justified. Two, we are regenerated. And what that means is we have all of a sudden, because we're given that new heart in Christ, that forgiveness in Christ, we have new desires, new affections a new viewpoint of the world we are made new and alive and we are regenerated where some of those things where people automatically think oh you're a christian because it becomes that no you don't become a christian become that but you, things do become new and you have a new view on life a new heart and new desires where it leads to some of those things some of those things are stereotypical but you receive new heart and desires for jesus over the world in your flesh third, and that's what we're going to focus on in here, and I'll explain in a moment, sanctification. And I'll explain that in a moment. We are sanctified now to become more like Christ. And that's what he means when he says working out our salvation. When you see salvation here, think sanctification. One of the four parts of what we receive in salvation. Fourth, glorification. We are going to be glorified with Christ. Even though we receive it in justification, we have a trust and a hope knowing that we are going to be with Christ, with our new glorified body in heaven and the new earth at one point in time. Now going back to that sanctification, this important command regarding our sanctification, which is once justified, viewed as forgiven and righteous, we now take, this is important here, continual steps of growth toward that glorification as we are sanctified or separated from the world by his holiness and our pursuit of it. And why you see it in this passage, and although there's been confusion with it, this is truly hard work. Sanctification is rarely easy, and this scripture, again, is proof of it. Whether in recognition and conviction of sin to become more like Jesus Christ, to the trials that God uses to refine us by fire, to sacrificing and choosing and taking the straight and narrow road, Along with the things in our life that helps us grow closer to Jesus outside of our actions or control comes a post-salvation works that James described in his letter that is going to be hard, hard work. Paul right here is asserting the urgency of responsible human behavior based on the preceding divine salvation from the gospel. He further explains this working out right here in the next chapter of Philippians, he describes himself as physically and spiritually straining and pressing on toward the goal of Christ-likeness and the goal of the resurrection. I don't want to get too far ahead of ourselves in light of that message two weeks from now, but they do go hand in hand. It is us pressing on. It is us, as he says, straining toward that. That is working out our salvation. And so in application, we know that the sanctification process can only come by God's grace, trusting he will do it for what we studied and what he had promised in Philippians 1-6. And I'm sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Christ Jesus. We know, according to this verse, that we are to put the work in for sanctification ourselves. That we are to do anything we can Strive, strain, press on in endurance and trials and discipline and devotions and the pursuit of holiness and the reminders of our need for the gospel. That here the Apostle Paul is telling us, do the work right now, the hard work to be sanctified and grow to become more like Christ. And with that in mind, no, remember, preluding context in this letter. What we just got done praying about. There's a strong, heavy theme of unity in this letter and what's needed in the church. In fact, in one of the best commentaries on this letter, G. Walter Hansen says this about this verse. In order to understand what Paul is saying here, we need to remind ourselves that his interest in this context is social harmony in the community of believers. The entire context for Paul's imperative to work out your salvation has to do with, again, unity in the church. His previous imperatives call for unity. Stand firm in one spirit, striving together with one accord, verse 27. Make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit, one mind. Chapter two, verse two. His subsequent imperative also focuses on social harmony verse 14 we're going to get to this do everything without grumbling or arguing and that's together in the light of paul's focus in this context of unity in the church the command to work out your salvation is to be understood in a corporate sense the entire church which had grown spiritually ill is charged now with taking whatever steps are necessary to restore itself to health integrity and wholeness together i bring this up because again I often hear this verse individually with my struggle, my own personal struggle, and I think you can apply it that way, but I think we need to apply this more in the context of the body and how we can help each other out. In light of this context and truth, again, some interpreters have even taken the word salvation in this passage here to mean the good health of the community rather than the personal justification by God, eternal salvation from judgment, and although there's some good examples of how this has been the case in Greek literature, I don't necessarily agree with that specific word redefinition, but again, I agree about this context. We do this together. Even more so than individually. It's not wrong to do that personally. You're going to, internally. But we are all to be helping each other grow closer to be in Christ. And I know that's challenging, but it's needed. You And verse 13 is intended to be plural, not individually like we often think about in this passage. For it is God who works in the church both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Lastly, we deal with the final few words used to show how we're working hard for this salvation, I mean, for the sanctification. He says we're to do this with fear and trembling. In the Old Testament, these words were often used to indicate an awe in the presence of God. Paul uses these same words when depicting his own attitude when first preaching the gospel to the Corinthian church in 1 Corinthians 2-3 and the response to God's commands and obedience in 2 Corinthians 7-5. Beyond attitude, this is a mindset, spirit, and heart of humility and submission in God's presence. Some would also say, the same spirit and attitude toward one another as they strive to be more like Christ with one another, which again makes sense as chapter two, verse three, says how in humility, we view others as more significant than ourselves. And then the following verse where Paul commands us stop grumbling or arguing with one another. But more than anything, I believe this is indicated as our response to the one and only holy and true God, especially when seeing his kingship and power, as we read verses nine through 11, that he is on that throne, that every person, whether they know him or not, will say, oh, he is who I didn't even know he was or denied, that he truly is the king. And it's said because we don't do this enough. I don't do this enough. View the Lord with fear and trembling. Put in the work for sanctification. With that in mind, I know I can make so many excuses of why I don't have this view and heart toward God as well. We all can, but there really isn't an excuse. We should be and need to be in awe of God because of his character, because of his holiness, because of even his love and mercy. We should be in awe. And as we are obedient and laboring for that sanctification together, we do that with fear and trembling, total awe of God and look what it says, because we remember this verse, whether we take it out of context or not, but we forget what it says right after. He works in us, both to will and work for his good pleasure. We always leave this part out when we apply this verse to our lives in the tough seasons of sanctification. I'm going through this trial. I'm going through this temptation, this struggle with the mindset of working out my salvation with fear and trembling. But we do this and there's reason for it. And it's encouraging reason. Scripture supports this hard, fearful work. And how often we forget God is working in us in those ways as his will for his good pleasure. It's a good thing no matter how. we are to enter into seasons embrace this tough laboring sanctification that we receive in our salvation second we see in verses 14 through 15 that we're to be a forbearing family of god as lights in the world look at verse 14 do all things without grumbling or disputing that you may be blameless and innocent children of god without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation among whom you shine as the lights in the world. He says, do all things, all means within the church. That means in witness at home, at work and at school without grumbling or disputing. And when he says this, let me just give a quick disclaimer. This doesn't mean that we aren't to bring up concerns. This doesn't mean that We don't practice church discipline. This doesn't mean that we tolerate sin for the sake of unity. But instead, it is to not start or participate in what Scripture is very, very clear about concerning slander, concerning gossip, concerning complaining, arguing, grumbling, disputing, and being divisive. We must remember as we read this, grumbling and complaining is not a fruit of the Spirit. If anything, it is detrimental to the peace, the joy, and the patience that is fruits of the Spirit. And how hard that is to not be complaining, grumbling, and divisive at times it's hard because it is of our human nature and flesh because as we talk about unity you want to talk about something that unites and bonds people together it's this have you ever been the person at work and everybody's complaining and everybody's negative and some things are rooted out of truth and you want to get a good easy way to bond with people complain with them but is it right even when it's rooted out of truth or needed change. I've had several conversations with people in our church about how hard this is at school, at the workplace. I even had a discipleship this past week and he gave me permission to be able to share this. But he had shared with me, not knowing I was preaching on this, at his last job, soon after he became a Christian, he noticed this more than ever at his workplace. That it was so bad, one day he called his wife and he said, I can't explain it, but there is so much negativity. There's so much complaining and divisiveness which within the co-workers. He said, I can't explain it, but it comes nothing short of the only word I can describe it as darkness. The grumbling, the division, the gossip, the slander, the arguing. I feel like I'm going into darkness. I mean, I was kind of even caught off guard that he's using this word I'm, "I'm darkness" out of all things, and he's not talking about like the whole workplace is playing with Ouija boards. You know, he's not saying like they're making light of demonic things. He's finding spray painted bathmays in the bathroom or six 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 in Sharpie on the whiteboard. It's not like they're watching Hocus Pocus and Harry Potter. Darkness. Just kidding. He's saying they're being divisive and arguing and gossiping and slandering. And he feels darkness. And there's a reason. He said, I couldn't but help but think. I wasn't surprised when that whole company folded because of how bad it was in those areas. And then what happens then when you have a church, a community group full of complaining full of divisiveness. I know Tim and I both gave funny examples of church disputes in the last year, but honestly, this is more serious and dangerous to our souls and our witness than we can imagine. This can kill our own personal spiritual growth. It can kill a church, and it will kill the mission he has sent us on. Which is why we must show great, almost supernatural, which is possible with the Spirit of God inside of us, forbearance. I use that word specifically in this point, forbearing family of God as lights in the world. Forbearance means patient self-control, restraint, and tolerance. We are to be a forbearing family because when we demonstrate what we've read about humility self-control opposing such hateful attitudes and words it says we will be blameless and innocent we will be what he graciously amazingly adopted us in family of God This is why it kills what we should think of when we think of church. Not just services, because we don't look at a service as church. We don't look at the program as church. We don't look at this building as church, but we view it as family. Unity as the body of Christ. Of course, complaining, arguing, divisiveness will kill the family. He says we're to be children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation, both before now and in the future, that when we are forbearing, restraining, practicing self-control and humility, that we are going to be a witness as the family of God in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation that needs to see and desires a perfect family that's what that's saying there now we all know there's no such thing right you know there's no such thing as a perfect family like you don't have a perfect family it grew up in the church everybody sees your Instagram posts and it's all happy cherry it's still not perfect that's why when I read this there's no perfect church there's no perfect families and I see your relief and nods of approval but that's the language that's used here why The same word almost always used as what was used by God to represent his holiness and standards of what's needed to be in his presence and to take away our sin and the sins that we hate and that we struggle with and that hurts us. Old Testament sacrifices the animals without blemish to temporarily take away our sins. Jesus' perfect sacrifice to take our sins once and for all. And now get this, we are to be blameless, innocent, church family without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation, which is often associated with family as well, that word generation, that will not actually be perfect, but in forbearing, countercultural witness of salvation and adoption as God's family, that we will be witnesses to God saving and taking away such sins, sins that cause such dysfunctionality in the world and in families today, and we will shine as lights in the world for it. It's not us being perfect, but it is what's represented in God and his perfection. That's why when we speak of your homes and how we are to try to equip you and help you as fathers, as moms, as husbands and wives, as children and parents, with Jesus at center, how you model to each other Christ and represent him in those ways. And in the same way, this is true for us as the church. You will shine in the darkness of sin. For the Christian complaining can be so destructive. It makes and serves our witness to the world way more difficult. And we're shine as that witness. As believers, we're challenged not to grumble or complain. Rather, we are to love one another deeply so that we may become blameless and pure to an outside world... Pointing to a true blameless and pure holy god and if we grumble and complain it shows how worldly we still are as james 4 says we're reminded a complaining spirit leads to fighting leads to quarreling because complaints come from unfulfilled desires that often leads to envy that leads to strife that leads to that division and ultimately we go against what jesus even prayed for us in the garden of gethsemane We are to be a forbearing family of God as lights in the world. Verse 16, we are to hold fast to the word now to reap eternal rewards later. Verse 16, holding fast to the word of life so that in the day of Christ I may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain. Paul preached the word to them, shared the gospel that gives life to them. And he shares how proud he was for them and how are they, they are to hold fast to it. To know that hard work, to know that his run, his training in that, as he's used this terminology before, that it won't be wasted. That it won't be wasted. That we are to hold fast to the word, hold fast to the gospel message. And as he says here, there is nothing that will make him prouder. Again, I can't but help to think also of so many people in the past, so many people that are here, so many families and parents that have invested in their children, so many disciplers invested in their disciples, and how this is their heart's desire. Hold fast to the word of life. There's nothing more that I'd be proud of. Young people, I'm not just talking about teens, college students. Talk of those who've been invested in by the generation before. There's nothing more that will make those people proud than you holding fast. And so I encourage, hold fast to the word. Do not let go. And beyond people that God uses in your life how much more how much more as it says here a reaping of eternal rewards it's more important reason to hold fast hold fast to the lord so that people will see they didn't waste that time spiritually in and with you pointing to christ last of all we see in verse 17 through 18 We are to rejoice in each other's sacrifices and our suffering and our faith. We are to rejoice in each other's sacrifices, suffering and faith. Verse 17, even if I'm to be poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith, I am glad and rejoice with you all. Likewise, you also should be glad and rejoice with me. He talks about being poured out as a drink offering This is regarding the Old Testament sacrifices. Paul's saying, that is me that's being poured out. That's what it will take in loving you and being unity with you to view it and live that way for you and to be glad and revolve with you. And I I can't but help to, again, uh, be challenged by this when I think of Rejoice in suffering. Rejoice as we are to sacrifice, as we are to suffer in that way. I mean, you're sacrificing and suffering, and somehow, some way we are to be glad and rejoice in it? Is that like I, I think of like a conversation, a discipleship and you're hearing a certain trial or you're sharing your heart biggest heart struggle. I mean you're going to God with it now you're confessing to somebody else. And like, is that you like forcing yourself to like put on the, the face like eh, yeah it's not like there's this movie that came out like just this week I'm not recommending it I have to give my disclaimer when I use these cultural things because people will give me emails like I can't believe you said this. not looking to see it or anything but there's a horror movie that's coming out and don't know all the premise but like all I know it has to do with creepy demonic smiles okay and it even went viral because like they the movie promoted per uh, the movie promoted at like Good Morning America and Major League Baseball games, they put actors, prop actors, in the midst of like certain games to creepy smile so they can promote the movie, okay? So I couldn't but help to think in preparation of this, especially as I saw at Sport out of all places, these creepy smiles that's on the, the TV, and I'm like, is that what that looks like? Like, you're in the midst of suffering and you just smile, like, mm, I, I hate my life right now, it's really hard, and you're just smiling, like, real creepy? No. No type of attitude, mindset is because of that. In the midst of tragic news, hard times, you don't have to be fake. It's not that. But it's to be glad and rejoice, not outward appearance, but listen, church. It's attitude, mindset, and overall lifestyle. I'm glad and rejoice with you all as I suffer, as I make these sacrifices. It is worth it. And then he says, verse 18, likewise, you should also be glad and rejoice with me. That we can only by the power of the Spirit trust and say and act and live as God is good and worth the suffering, worth the sacrifices. Again, you just look at the international church in the midst of having very little and in the midst of suffering, we can't even compromise. And they rejoice. And we are to do the same for each other, all of us rejoice in suffering and sacrifice for both Jesus and his beloved forbearing family as we are used as lights in this dark world. And we can rejoice. We can rejoice because we have Jesus. Because he died for us on the cross. He rose from the grave. He extended that out of his grace for us and to us. We are to sanctify, become more like him, but we receive it when we repent of our sins, have saving faith in him. And as we know how he sacrificed, suffered for us because Romans 5, 8 says he showed his love for us and that while we were still sinners, he died for us and he gives us that faith. He gives us that forgiveness. He gives us that freedom. He gives us that new life and eternity. And we are to have and can give us a new perspective where we can rejoice no matter the circumstances and be there for each other no matter their circumstances. Because we have hope and the all incomparable, worthy Jesus. Therefore, rejoice. Let's pray. Father, I pray, Lord, that you use your word this morning, that we will hold fast to it, making those proud who invest in us, most importantly, you proud that we will be forbearing not grumbling disputing not arguing being divisive but that we will represent you as a holy united God when we do so Lord that we will put the hard work into sanctification that we will work out the salvation that you gave us with fear and trembling awe of you knowing that you work in us both to will and work, for your good pleasure. And as we do these hard things, Lord, we can do it together rejoicing. And we can only do that through Christ in us. God, I ask whatever business we have to do, whether today, whether it be tonight, whether it be this week, to apply these things, Lord, that we do it. And again, you encourage, you remind that we only can do it through Christ in us as we sing that to you right now. We thank you, Lord. We pray this in your name, Jesus.